0: Hello isolators. Before we jump into this episode, I have a quick announcement about a new podcast segment I'm trying this month. On Thursday, October 22nd, I'm launching the Well That's Cool book club, a chance for us to get together over Zoom and talk about books and writing and all that fun stuff. Each club meeting, I'll be joined by an author, publisher, teacher, or someone else from the literary field for a conversation about their work in front of a live digital studio audience. And that's you. After our conversation, the club will share what they are reading, what they're curious about, or even what they're writing themselves. This will be super informal, no advanced reading required, and totally free. I hope you'll join me and my first guest, young adult fantasy author Rachel Bell Irving, on Thursday, October 22nd at 8pm Mountain Time for our first club meeting. Get links to register and learn about Rachel's exciting debut novel on the podcast website benfast.ca slash cool. Okay, on with the episode. Well, that's cool. Right? As part of my visit to Scotland in September 2019, I visited some of the nation's top museums, galleries, and cultural attractions, trying to learn about what makes Scotland so special, so important to history around the world, and so full of legendary characters. In the last episode, I visited with David Forsyth at the National Museum of Scotland to learn about the objects on display there that tell Scotland's story of diaspora and industry. The following day, I went to the Scottish National Portrait Gallery, a beautiful red sandstone neo-gothic palace designed as a shrine for Scotland's heroes and heroines. The building opened in 1889 as the world's first purpose-built portrait gallery. I wanted to see the people Scotland view as representatives of their nation, the historical figures that shape the direction and identity of the Scottish people. I also know that portrait galleries can be some of the more progressive, challenging cultural organizations because of who they show and how, so I was curious to see what modern and contemporary stories were on display. Because of my inability to read or understand Edinburgh's bus maps and schedules, and I still blame the jet lag, I arrived my tour late which meant I only had a limited time with my guide, deputy director and chief curator of portraiture, Imogen Gibbon. With the clock ticking before Imogen was off to a meeting, she whisked me through the galleries, still managing to show me quite a few highlights on our walk. Because I was late, I abandoned my line of rigid, structured questions about portraits and their role telling history, and instead just went along for the ride, which probably meant Imogen could show me much more than what I expected, even while we walked upstairs. And because of that, I think it's best that you do the same. So here is my visit, complete and mostly unedited. Oh, and if you want to follow along with the floor plan, visit the episode page at benfast.ca cool, linked in the show notes. I hope you enjoy the tour.
1: Hi, my name's Imogen Gibbon. I am a deputy director and chief curator of portraiture at the National Galleries of Scotland, but based here at the Scottish National Portrait Gallery. Okay,
0: and so you've brought me into the first room, the, the Grand Hall, can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: So we're currently standing in the Great Hall. This is sort of the, uh, the first room that people come into when visitors come to the, to the gallery. Um, the Portrait Gallery was founded as the world's first purpose-built portrait gallery. Um, in 1889 um, and it opened in July of that year so we've just celebrated our 130th anniversary Um, we're standing in the in the Great Hall and there's no doubt here that we really are in a gallery that's celebrating the the people of Scotland and the people that have contributed to Scotland as it is now as it was and everything in between and possibly um, in the future as well Um, The decorative elements of the building are absolutely part of the story of the building and the collection, in a way. You'll have seen when you walked in, the exterior of the gallery has uh, carvings, um, statues, of again, of figures from Scottish history. And then when you walk in, you've got this processional frieze, which has, I think it's 155 people from Scottish history. We start off with Thomas Carlyle, Who was really important, the historian and author Thomas Carlyle, really important in the founding of portrait galleries, both the London National Portrait Gallery and the Scottish National Portrait Gallery. Carlyle was Scottish, um, so he was the most contemporary figure when William Hole, who was the artist who carried out all the decorative work painting inside the building, and we'll go up to the next level on the on the ambulatory and have a look at the other wall paintings a little bit later. So we move from Thomas Carlyle back in time. Stone Age Man, you can see, is yeah. the most sort of rudimentary figure. And then we've got the massive, sturdy, strong, robust figure of Caledonia, who's drawing the curtain back to reveal a starry sky. And then if we look up a little bit further, we've actually got a starry sky, the astrological ceiling. Um, When we refurbished the gallery, it was a massive project back in 2009 to 2011, um, where the idea was to really bring the building back to the architect's original vision for a Victorian gallery. I must say, the architect actually was William, uh, sorry, Robert Rowan Anderson, um, also the architect of Mount Stewart on the Isle of Bute, and there are many similarities between the two buildings, but Mount Stuart on the Isle of Bute is, is well, it's, maybe it's much more exotic than the Portrait Gallery, but we like our building, we like the Portrait Gallery. Um, so when we were doing our refurbishment, we, we wanted really to get across that this building was built for the people of Scotland um, and further afield, and it is, it's not our building, it's everyone's building. So what we did is we had a scheme where people could, could um, adopt a figure from the frieze Um, where people could buy a star, um, and you can see there's various sizes of stars. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't quite recollect the uh, price range, but you could go for a tiny star or a slightly bigger star um, and sort of buy it in memory of somebody. Then you get a a map of exactly where your star was. Um, But it's really beautiful, the Portrait Gallery, and I've now got a sore neck because I'm looking up the whole time. But actually, I think we probably should make better use of this space really and get people to look up because it's amazing it's sort of so colourful when we have the Christmas tree in here at Christmas Um, uh, it sounds a silly thing to say but the the colour scheme of decorations on the Christmas tree was chosen absolutely to pick out these beautiful colours in, in the frieze the turquoises the oranges the reds
0: yeah, and it is very colourful. We should talk about about how you walk in and while it's red brick, it's amazing different colours in the, yeah. in the painting itself.
1: And it's sparkling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of gold, there's lots of um, gold leaf um, carvings on the columns, mm-hmm. which really draw your eyes up to... The decorative scheme, as I said, the frieze, the murals from Scottish history, and then the astrological ceiling. Mustn't forget Robert Burns. Yeah. Um, this is a uh, statue that was paid for by subscription back in the uh, early 19th century. Um, depicts the national bard, poet of Scotland, Robert Burns, um, and international man I would say mm-hmm. um, very popular in Russia and in lots of countries in, across the world have um, Canada probably has statues of Robert Burns, Australia, New Zealand the um, States
0: and who celebrate it like Burns Night and all that yeah. sort of thing
1: yeah. and this statue was originally made for the Burns uh, Mausoleum on Carlton Hill in Edinburgh so it was made to sit in a building, it's a much smaller building, a much more intimate building like than this um, but it was only kept in there for a matter of years before in the 19th century people realised that actually it was going to uh, get damaged pretty easily. Um, so it's now on loan to us from uh, City of Edinburgh Council. Um, and it was th- one of two artworks that remained in here when we had our big refurbishment. So it was crated up but stayed in exactly the same place. Um,
0: And just because it's it's so big, like it's a life-size sort of... Yeah,
1: so life-size. So, I mean, that's solid marble. So imagine, ooh, the weight of having to move that. Yeah. Um, And the other artwork that remained in the building was this altarpiece here. So the gallery was paid for by an individual called John Ritchie Finlay, who was then, in the uh, latter part of the 19th century, um, proprietor of the Scotsman newspaper, Um, So he was what what, what they called back back then in the 1880s the anonymous donor. Mm. And in the very space we're standing in, the opening ceremony in July 1889, 130 years ago, he was revealed as the anonymous donor. But, I mean, to be honest, I can't think that anybody who was there, all the lords and ladies, didn't know it was him that gave most of the money for the building to be built. Um, But the building was sanctioned by what was then called the Board of Manufacturers. So it's basically... The government, um, arts, art, the arts section of the, of the, I suppose it was the equivalent of Department for Culture and Sport, Media and Sport back then. Hmm. Um, and,
0: and why did he build it? Why did he want this?
1: Um, he, he, he wanted to build a building to be specially built to contain portraits of individuals that made Scotland um, I should say as well that although we were the fir- world's first purpose built portrait gallery, we also shared the building with the National Museum of Antiquities. And okay. you can see that carved name yeah. up on the east door, of the National Museum of Antiquities. And that was the collection, the museum collection of the Society of Antiquaries of Scotland. Um, that collection now is housed at the National Museums of Scotland, but actually we shared the building with the museum until um, 2009 when we closed for our refurbishment Um, so this is the first time really since 2011 that we've occupied the whole building as a portrait gallery. I should say the National Portrait Gallery in London was founded in 1856 it was founded about 50 years before the Scottish National Portrait Gallery but it didn't occupy its own building until the 1890s. So, hence we say the world's first purpose built portrait gallery. There's portrait galleries in Canada, in, um, well, it's now been subsumed by the National Gallery of Ireland, but Canberra, um, Smithsonian Portrait Gallery. So, there are a small number of portrait galleries that are designated as portrait galleries across the world, and we work very closely with all of those.
0: And was there anything specific that they needed to do to build a portrait gallery compared to a quote-unquote regular museum in some ways?
1: Um, not, a, not a portrait gallery, but you'll see when we go up to the very top floor that the architect, Robert Rowan Anderson, on purpose um, included skylights in the top gallery so that the light could come in so it wasn't a dark, um, sort of cavernous building, although it's actually quite dark in here, but it doesn't seem that much so because of the glistening gold on the frieze. But nothing particular is worth mentioning that this is a sort of neo-Gothic building in red sandstone, very unlike the new town which it Mm. sits as part of on George Street Street and Queen Street, Mm. yes, and this is red sandstone and it's neo-Gothic, sort of based on a venetian palace (laughs) um i suppose is a way of describing it um so it's really unlike the classical formation and the grids of the new town which it sits as part of um
0: and so so just looking up one more time of this freeze here i see names that we would recognize from scottish histories and legends and um, in particular macbeth um, as well as many other famous names As we're going through, are we looking at primarily the big names of Scottish history or or how does the collection reflect that or change from from this freeze?
1: So, that's an interesting question because portrait painting in Scotland really didn't start until the middle of the 16th century. So our collection starts in the 1550s, so there are no contemporary portraits of Macbeth Right. Or Duncan, or these earlier Martin. figures in Scottish history, we do have portraits of the earlier James Kings, but they were not painted um, they were not painted from life, so actually, the Victorian um, instruction, people coming in in the 1890s, they had their early Scottish history here and mm-hmm. represented on these murals, which we'll go up next to see, and then the collection starts in okay. the middle of the 16th century so your first sort of well-known figure, American Scots. Mm-hmm. One of the earliest portraits, which we'll have a little look at, is a tiny little gorgeous portrait of the mother of American Scots, Mary of Guise, which mm-hmm. dates from the middle of the 16th century.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we, uh, we head on to the next stop?
1: Shall we go, go up to the ambulatory? Sure. Just talking about the, the building, you'll see as we go up the stairs these beautiful plinths. Mm-hmm. They are not um, they were made in the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, so they're not contemporary with the building, but they were very much made to fit into the sort of arts and crafts look and feel of the building.
0: It almost feels like we're in like a castle. Was that sort of that neo-gothic yes. element as well?
1: I was gonna point out this little thing here, sure. um, this is one of the plinths, so, ooh, guy on a motorbike, <laughs> not everyone spots that, okay. but that's actually a carving of one of the ex-directors of the gallery, because he's a mad motorbike with enthusiast, his with his helmet on, so that's sort of somewhat out of place, but I was like pointing it out as a sort of little thing that you might not notice. That's
0: on the plinth of Alexander McCall Smith, who yes. of course would have known motorcycles and a yes. well-known writer.
1: Yep. And his series um, book, Scotland Street, uh, actually mentions the Portrait Gallery, and the uh, guy who does the illustrations for Scotland Street, Ian McIntosh, we've got a a drawing illustration actually of the Portrait Gallery that he did for Scotland Street in the collection. So
0: (laughs) It's a good way for him to to get in. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Have a look. Sure.
0: So can you tell us where we are and sort of what we're looking at now?
1: So we're now standing on what we call the ambulatory, which is the first floor balcony, and we're overlooking the Great Hall. Um so we're looking down on the processional frieze with its 155 figures. We're slightly nearer to the astrological ceiling if you look up, and we're on the same level as a number of murals, wall murals, depicting scenes from early Scottish history. So if we look at one of them, and i mention again, William Hole was the artist of the ceiling, the wall murals and the frieze. Mm-hmm. So these were, if you imagine when the gallery first opened, 1889, these are dated late 1890s, so when the building first opened, it would have actually been much more plain to the eye. Um, And you can see the the scale of these wall paintings. There really are some scale taking up from sort of waist height to the ceiling. Um, We're looking at the mission of St. Columba to the Picts. And if you look really closely, you can see the technique that the artist used to transfer his preliminary drawings onto the wall. So you can see that he's made a grid here. And then he would have matched his miniature designs... And then sort of plotted them onto the wall. Right,
0: which is like one of the early techniques that you learn in, in an art yeah. class to to get your forms and yeah. perspectives correct. Yeah. But this is 15 feet tall. This isn't what yeah. I normally think of as portraiture. I no. usually think of of a face as a portrait. So what you know, what Why is are the difference these
1: here? Well, I suppose because we were. Uh, purposely built as a portrait gallery and a museum of antiquities, I suppose if you combine portraiture and history, then you get um, slightly larger portraits of people um, taking part in historical events, really.
0: the portrait doesn't just have to be, you know, shoulders up. It can be just other person. Oh, no, no.
1: And and we'll see loads of examples, actually, when we go on on up um, to the galleries where we display the portraits.
0: And this is right in the the gift shop.
1: Yes, (laughs) well, this is one of the shops, yes. This is what we call our balcony bookshop, where we have a large selection of art books, including photography books. Um, Mm. We have a large collection of photography at the National Galleries of Scotland and a gallery dedicated to exhibitions of photography Mm. from middle of the 19th century up to contemporary photography, which rotates during the year here at the Portrait Gallery as well.
0: Foliage. Yeah. They're very detailed, of course, too. Right.
1: Yeah. Right, we're going to look, we'll look at this briefly, just because okay. that's just made me think when you said <laughs> right. head and shoulders, <laughs> which right. this certainly isn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a, this, the title of this artwork that we're looking at is called Susie Wolfe Portrait of a Racing Driver. And um, how to explain this artwork? Well, it's not <laughs> a painting. It's, no. not, it's not a drawing, it's not a photograph. It is a glass helmet. So this um, helmet was cast from one of Susie Wolfe's F1 racing helmets. Susie's from Oban in the northwest of Scotland um, and was the first f F1 female F1 test driver for, I think, uh, 20, 25, 30 years. Um, she's retired from racing now but actually manages... A, a racing team Um, and we were approached by the artist Angela Palmer. Um, She made these helmets in an edition of four. This was made in 2018 so only last year Mm -hmm. and was unveiled to the press and Susie came along and posed by it and that uh, caused great attention. Um, And it's lit with blue light, so you can see the visor and you can see all the different features on the crystal glass helmet. Mm-hmm. And for me, the sort of poignancy really is the the delicacy and the fragility of crystal glass as a material, and yet the, the risks that the F1 drivers take, I suppose especially being a female F1 driver, um, uh, you know, things could, could be gone in an instant and the fragility actually... Um, of the material of this particular helmet. Unlike Susie's real helmet, which was made to protect her, this certainly wouldn't if she put this on.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a different thing than you might expect in a portrait gallery of seeing a face, because this is something that would have gone over a face and yes. more relates to the person themselves. Yeah,
1: right? yep. Mm-hmm. and actually, when she had her helmet on, um, you know, people maybe, maybe were less aware of the fact that she was a woman in a, in a male-dominated sport profession. Mm-hmm
0: the Scottish National Portrait Gallery is still closed because of the COVID-19 pandemic. If you want to see some of the items Imogen Gibbon is showing me, visit this episode on my website, benfast.ca slash cool, but I know it's a sad replacement to seeing them in person. The gallery is set to reopen sometime this fall as part of the National Galleries of Scotland's staged reopening plans, so make sure to check on that status if you're nearby soon. Face masks and coverings are, of course, part of the gallery visiting experience now, but they are also part of the way we mark the pandemic through visuals on our faces. We may recognize friends by what design they have on their masks, mine is a Van Gogh painting for example, or we may have seen images of people with masks that we can immediately place as part of the timeline of the last seven months. The National Galleries of Scotland has had at least two major interactions with masks, including a partnership this September with North Edinburgh Arts to commission and distribute face coverings with four works from the National Collection to workers at seven local charities, as well as commissioning local couturier and designer Frank Francia to design 500 coverings for the gallery's own staff. They've also done a public appeal in July for stories, portraits, and ideas that will be displayed along with portraits from the National Collection in a display titled You Are Here 2020 Stories, Portraits, Visions. I'm sure plenty of those submissions will feature masks in some way, and I hope to see some great submissions in 2021.
1: Now, we'll just just stop here. These are two stained glass windows, um, the one on the left, has 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 20, around about 40 roundels which contain portraits of men who were influential in the founding of the Portrait Gallery in the late 19th century, topped by Queen Victoria, Queen at the time. Um, And on the right, we have a sort of modern-day version of that window with current Queen on the top and portraits and emblems from organisations which donated to the refurbishment of the gallery between 2009 and 2011. And it's my uh, glass engraver called Alison Kinnaird. And when the sun shines through here, it's absolutely beautiful. You get beautiful yellow patterns on the brick mm-hmm. and the carpet. It's quite a sight when the sun's at the back of the building.
0: And it's quite a different style. Like that's traditional stained glass sort of work. And this is, as you said, en- engraving,
1: right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah And the one on the left, you'll see the foliage of leaves and flowers and plants around the portraits, which very much echo the decorative scheme of the building that we've seen in the Great Hall and on the ambulatory. Mm -hmm. Cool. And this one, I I quite like this one here. It's just very wintry. I love it because we opened formally on the 1st of December 2011. You've got sort of a figure representing winter here with a flame. I love that one. Great,
0: Yeah some winter uh, holly or something bird and stuff uh, yes
1: know. yeah and the berries and the maybe that's a robin can't quite see yeah. that one but. Mm,
0: neat. Yeah. and then one for one for yourselves as yeah, the gallery for itself. A,
1: yes and actually you remember the ex-gallery director I mentioned with right. the motorcycling I do you recognize that silhouette there oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's worth taking a closer look at that, actually, just to see the sort of oh, the beautiful work that's sort of involved, again, in a medium, you don't see that often in the yeah. gallery.
0: Yeah, and quite detailed. You can see not only the, the etching marks, but also lots of detail in the foliage and the faces.
1: Yeah. So this is the first gallery. If when visitors go chronologically round the exhibitions and the displays. Uh, I mentioned the earliest works in the collection dated from the middle of the 16th century. So we have Mary Queen of Scots, a full-length portrait here. Mm -hmm. Um, Very much one of the sort of more recognisable figures of Scottish history. Mm -hmm. There are many, many paintings of Mary Queen of Scots painted slightly after um, the time she was alive, but this one was painted and commissioned by her father, James the Sixth, of Scotland and First of England, um, and it was commissioned to uh, rehabilitate, I suppose, her reputation um, from James's point of view after she was um, executed in 1587. But you'll see the perspective, sort of, quite out. A carpet on the floor. Yeah has no real perspective at all. It's, no. oft, it's, it's almost <laughs> it's as if it's sloping right. down yeah. and actually leading you into the picture. Yeah, right. Um,
0: and it also has words on it where it's, I mean, it's Latin, but it's detailing what she was queen of, where she was born, what she was, where she was captive, and the dates through that as well, right?
1: Yes, so I, I suppose that would have been part of the propaganda um, that James wanted to make part of this artwork as well.
0: If you didn't know who she was, she did all these things, yeah. and she was queen. and
1: all that. Yeah, and it's almost, you see it's giving you the dates, there we go, Mm -hmm. which was age 36, um, in captivity for 10 years, I think Mm -hmm. that must mean, um, from 1578 and then she died in 1587. So actually thinking about an artwork as more than what it represents, Mm -hmm. why it was commissioned, who commissioned it, Again, very much part of the stories that we tell here at the Portrait Gallery. Mm. This, I mentioned the gorgeous, tiny, tiny portrait, oil on panel of Mary, Queen of Scots's mother, Mary of Guise, and this is dated slightly earlier, actually, than the middle of the 16th century, 1537. Again, it's enclosed in two frames, the inner frame of the oil on panel Painting would have been the original frame. Mm -hmm. So again, this to me is really more of an object Mm -hmm. rather than just a painting. There's nothing wrong with being just a painting, but um, it's become
0: sort of a shadow box with a painting inside it. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah. But it's beautiful. If you have a look at the detail, Mm -hmm. again, it's just that green background. You can see the red hair. Mary Queen of Scots is often painted with red hair. Right. Uh, and played by actresses with red hair. Right. Um, beautiful, delicate portrait.
0: And almost a, almost a marbling around the inner frame. Looks like it's different colors, and then maybe it's just the, the age of it. But
1: yes. So there's sort of a marbling effect on the inner part of the frame, as you said. Mm-hmm. Qu- quite faded, um, which, prob- which alludes to the fact that this is most probably the original, mm. or near to the original frame, the mm. inner frame that we can see here.
0: It looks like a like a felt lining or velvet lining. Yes, or something. Yeah.
1: I think that was probably maybe put in that, I would guess, in the 1950s or 60s, okay. possibly. Yeah. Ah. Yes.
0: Um, and then right, yeah, right next to another yes. portrait of, of her daughter, portrait Mary. Portrait
1: of her daughter. And again, you can see the red hair. This is one of the so-called um, examples of mourning paintings when Mary, Queen of Scots was in mourning for her first husband, uh, the Dauphin. Mm. Um, Mm. after Francoise Clouet. Mm. Uh, we'll just move into the central gallery. So here we have an exhibition called Scots in Italy, and it's all about Scots going abroad, sometimes on the grand tour to right. Italy in the 18th century, um, sometimes for other business in Italy in the 18th century. But all of these portraits you see here have a link um, to Italy. We're also now standing on that starry ceiling. Mm. That's where we are, right in the centre of the building now. Um, I remember when I first started working here quite a long time ago, it took me a long time to orientate myself around the building. Mm -hmm. Although it's symmetrical, you've got little staircases and little turrets in some of the corners, Um, Quite exciting spaces, actually, that don't seem so symmetrical when you're trying to get from one end of the building to another. Right. Um, just have a look, brief look at the portrait of Robert Burns, sure. which is an iconic portrait. And then we'll move down to the modern portrait exhibition and have a look at the more recent yeah, Greek portrait.
0: These are all very sort of traditional. Um, you would almost say imperial type portraits of classic art and. All that sort of thing correct?
1: Yes yes so in each of these galleries on the top floor we we represent sort of a, a thread of Scottish history in each of the galleries so so we've just come from Scots in Italy this exhibition is called the remaking of scotland nation migration globalization 1760 to 1860 but really concentrates on the enlightenment period actually following on from the scots in italy mm-hmm. um, and part of this exhibition is probably the most iconic portrait in our collection right. again robert burns comes into the story again and this is by burns's friend alexander Naismith. They went drinking together, apparently, and then walking it off the next day. Um, Naismith painted at least three versions of this portrait. Uh, We have one version, but this is what we call the primary version, and it was painted from life. The other two versions, Naismith painted from that painting. So in a way, you get one step removed. We, looking at that, would get one step removed if you were looking at the other portraits of Burns by Naismith. Mm -hmm. But here... Can you see it? it says Painted from Life, 1787. Yeah. And it was actually, went through the family. So Colonel Willi- William Nicol Burns was one of Robert Burns's sons who actually bequeathed this painting to the National Collection, hence it's on, on display here. So in a way, for me, the power of portraiture is always in the fact that you're standing in front of a painting of somebody that the artist painted from life. Mm-hmm. So you've got that immediate, it's not seven degrees of separation, it's you've got you, the artist, and then the person. Right. Um, so this, I mean, this is quite a, uh, it's such a famous portrait. Yeah. You're sort of looking at it now, you think, oh, the cheeks are really red. It's quite chocolate right. boxy, yeah. um, you know, and I'm sure will have appeared on many tins of shortbread and uh, Scottish food and various other Cans things. Of beer, I think. Too. Oh, p- yeah. possibly, yeah. Or
0: whiskey,
1: yeah. But this was painted actually in order to be engraved mm. for an edition of Burns's poetry. So that was the reason for the commission of this painting. Multi purpose. Yeah. yeah. So there are lots of prints of this um, portrait. And in my time here, I've been sent by many, many people across the world actually. Oh, we've got this portrait of Robert Burns. Sometimes it's quite like that sometimes it's sort of mutated into something that sort of looks like that but actually does <laughs> so hmm. it's, quite, it's an interesting portrait, um, why it was created, who created it, who it's of and then it's sort of subsequent history really as right. an iconic image
0: Right, I mean I would, you would recognise this most people walking in if they knew anything about Burns would recognise this Yes. Sure.
1: Yeah. yeah It's great to see it. So we'll maybe go and look at something a bit more modern sure, yeah. downstairs. Ooh, it's
0: so how many galleries are there actually?
1: Um, well, the Portrait Gallery is part of the National Galleries of Scotland. Right. Uh, also we have the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art and the Scottish National Gallery. So there's three galleries, sort of family of three galleries make up the National Galleries of Scotland.
0: And how many exhibit areas do you have in this building? To, to put portraits on display? We
1: have about 15 galleries, 15 okay. different spaces, varying in size as right. well, right. from the slightly bigger space to the more intimate spaces at the end of these rooms here. Okay. Right, this is a portrait we're going to do a look, at, do sure. a look at. So this is called Three Oncologists, and it's a group portrait painted by... Ken Curry, who's a Scottish artist from Glasgow, and it was painted in 2001. Uh, It was commissioned by the Portrait Gallery and it depicts three oncologists, surprise, surprise, from the title, three Mm -hmm. oncologists, Um, probably just coming out of theatre. When the painting was uh, commissioned, the three protagonists all worked at Nine Wells Hospital in Dundee in the Oncology Department. Um, and we've got Professor Kush- Alfred Kushiri in the middle. And on the left, we've got um, Sir David Lane. Sorry, on the right, we've got Sir David Lane and um, Professor Robert Steele on the left. Um, Ken Curry, in order to get the likenesses of the three figures, actually went to observe them in surgery in the operating theatre, hence potentially this uh, quite scary, ghost-like depiction of three surgeons with two of them wearing their plastic gloves, probably having just come out of surgery. Alfred is holding a light probe. They have blood on their hands and they're standing in front of what looks like operating theatre curtains. So the, drawing them back. Yeah, drawing them back. So you've got those sort of hospital colours of the blue and the greens and the red of blood. Um, absolutely inevident. Um, the figures have red rimmed eyes as if they'd been working 24 hours a day in the cause of cancer, I suppose, Um, because they were very busy. As well as observing them in the operating theatre, Ken Curry took light plaster life masks of each of their faces Mm. and he hung them in his studio um, to get the light and the formation and the composition that he wanted to translate into his painting. We actually have the life masks in the collection and we have previously displayed them as part of this portrait. But this portrait's very much um, uh, marmite painting, if you like. (laughs) Um, uh, People love it or they hate it, not really anything in between. um, So they're always uh, very able to say, oh, I would have that painting on my wall. Oh, I wouldn't have that painting on my wall. But, for me, the brilliant thing is people have a reaction to this, whether they love it, they find it creepy, or it's a massive painting it's yeah. um probably about two meters high by three meters wide, roughly maybe not quite as big as that, but it 's an imposing painting um,
0: and so why why would you commission a work of three oncologists or? Or were you just commissioning a work from the artist himself?
1: Um, No, we definitely wanted these three medical individuals represented in the collection. Um, So there would have been a process of approaching the sitters, the three, for this case, the three people um, planned to be in the portrait, Ask if they would be okay with this process, and then working with the sitters to find an artist who we all thought would be able to paint a wonderful portrait.
0: So you selected it based on the subject and then moved on to the artist and the way that they would do it from there?
1: Yes, that's right. And, and um, that's really naturally the order in which we do things here, being a portrait gallery. Um, and we have in the past concentrated on themes of individuals, whether that's sport, medicine, uh, um, artists, authors, Um, scientists, Nobel Prize winners who come from Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's very much a a sort of trying to balance out the collection. You know, if we had a collection full of scientists and no authors, then we would need to work to sort of balance that out, really. So that we can tell, it enables us to tell many stories and many different stories as well.
0: And upstairs, a lot of the paintings, as we saw, were of famous rich people either going on grand tours or royalty Um, here obviously very important people in Scottish history uh, currently Scottish culture and and medicine and science but how does it fit in now with the collection policy and the type of artwork that you're creating or um, commissioning sorry Um, how does that fit into that context of a, of a National Portrait Gallery today?
1: Well, I think a National Portrait Gallery in today, people, pe- visitors should be able to come in and see some sort of reflection of their life or their experiences in the collection and in the people represented in the collection. So, you know, w- whether it's a, a particular... Um, uh, health issue or uh, situation in your life that you were in. Um, maybe that's probably not a good memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not just medicine. There are other themes for people to, to cotton on to. Um, and I think, really, what we want to do now when we commission portraits and collect and acquire is, is be a center of debate, you mm-hmm. know? Um, uh, get the conversations going, learn from our audiences, hear their stories. We're not putting ourselves forward as storytellers. You know, we really want to be story sharers when people um, come here. And it needs to be a two-way dialogue, really, between um, us as temporary custodians of the National Collection of Portraits and our audiences.
0: Mm -hmm. Any any portrait that I should really go and look at or your personal favorite?
1: This one here, actually. Um, This is a self-portrait by John Byrne, who is really regarded as a national treasure in Scotland anyway and some people if they're coming from abroad they often think oh it's Frank Zappa
0: I was just gonna say you have (laughs) a picture of Frank Zappa I didn't know he was Scottish
1: (laughs) but no and actually funnily enough I was in um, somewhere the other day last week and I saw a, a portrait of Frank Zappa and I thought gosh it looks like John Byrne in the 70s so John Byrne is an artist he's an author he's a playwright he's a polymath really um, in his early days of being an artist, he used to ref- call himself Patrick and sign his portraits as Patrick rather than John Byrne. This is a self-portrait in a flowered jacket dating from early 1970s, painted when he was uh, in America. Um, and as you can see, he's sitting on a makeshift sort of wooden timber box, which is covered in graffiti. He's got a beautiful embroidered flower jacket with large lapels, and flares on, and a palette, and he's sitting there holding his palette and his paintbrush mm. against the sky. There's something of an air of Magritte, I think, about it as well, actually. And you can just see the sea behind right. him there. Yeah. So yes, this is a this is a massive favourite actually, and this is this is a portrait that we would always try to have on display. Right. Okay. Um, but looking just not sort of concentrating on anyone in particular, but while we're standing here, we can see a portrait of Ewan Bremner, star of the Trainspotting series of movies, Annie Lennox, Alan Cumming. Right. This is a brilliant. This was a, an acquisition. It's a paint painted by an artist from Gibraltar called Christian Hook, who won the Sky Arts Portrait Artist of the Year Awards a few years ago, and the final episode of that series was filmed here at the Portrait Gallery, and um, Christian was commissioned by Sky Arts to paint the actor Alan Cumming.
0: That was like the the end result? Yeah, that was
1: the end result, and the portrait was gifted to us as part of that process as well.
0: Yeah, anything else from you or are we running out of time? Is I'm the door's gonna open?
1: We've got <laughs> him, I've got you? to dash now. Sure. I've got another meeting. Well thank you
0: very much for showing oh, me. Oh, that's okay. Actually. That's
1: nice to meet yeah, you anyway. Nice
0: to meet you as well and, and really interesting to hear the stories and see some of the so, some of the works of it. Thank you very much. Great.
1: All right, cheers Ben, thank you. I bet Dash. Yeah, you know you,
0: So it turns out, portraiture is a complex, rich, intersectional art form. In Scotland, portraiture tells the story of a vibrant history, a proud people, and links those figures from centuries ago to today's society in intricate and varied ways. What you think may just be a head-and-shoulders painting can actually be photography, sculpture, mosaics, and even pieces of the building itself. The representational and referential aspect of portraiture really stood out to me, especially in the temporary exhibition I saw after my walk with Imogen. The Long Look, The Making of a Portrait exhibition was an exploration of portraiture between two artists, where painter Audrey Grant asked photographer Norman McBeath to sit for a portrait done in charcoal, a process that would take weeks if not months. Grant then asked Macbeth to photograph the drawing at the end of each sitting, before erasing the drawing at the start of the next sitting to start the portrait anew. Macbeth was interested in the way that Grant was working, so he started photographing other parts of the process, including her hands, her chair, and the charcoal itself. The portrait process, which also featured another portrait of Macbeth and two of award-winning crime writer Val McDermid, took two years to complete. And the exhibit displayed the charcoal drawings alongside selections of the photographs and, next to those images, small plastic bags full of the charcoal pieces used each day. The charcoal is, in truth, a portrait as well, but also a tangible marking of the creation of the artwork itself. Looking at this display with its multitudinal elements of portraiture really made me think back to the painting of Mary, Queen of Scots I saw on my walk with Imogen, and how interesting it would be to have a portrait of the artist at the moment that work was created. What did the brushes look like? How much paint had splashed onto their clothes? What would a portrait of you look like, or of the person making that portrait of you? What would you use to represent that portrait, or what would be represented in the portrait? I really enjoyed my visit to the Scottish National Portrait Gallery, a place I probably would not have added to my list were it not for this podcast. It changed my understanding of portraits, of the importance and the interesting quality of them. I hope to visit again someday soon, and I hope you will too on your next trip to Scotland. Visit nationalgalleries.org to find all the information about visiting and reopening times for all the National Galleries of Scotland locations. My thanks to Imogen Gibbon, Deputy Director and Chief Curator of Portraiture, for rushing me through the gallery at the start of her very busy day. As you can tell, Imogen's knowledge and passion for the collection makes for some amazing stories, and I really appreciated her spending time with me. Thanks also to Charlotte Fort for helping arrange the visit and guiding me through the streets of Edinburgh while I was lost. Thanks as always to Ron Yamauchi for the theme tune and to Anna Schroeder of another design for the cool podcast logo. Check out her work at a N N a T H E R design.com. Other music heard during this episode and all the other podcast stuff is done by me, Ben fast. Don't forget to visit my website at benfastca cool to find registration links for the first meeting of the well, that's cool book club featuring a special conversation with author Rachel bell Irving. The event starts at 8 p.m. Mountain Time on Thursday, October 22nd. You can also find a Facebook event at Well That's Cool Pod, and I'll be sharing things on Twitter at Well that's Cool as well. Send me an email at wellthatscoolpod at gmail.com if you want to say hi or suggest something you're curious about. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening, and a happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadian listeners out there. Stay well. corner and seeing a statue and thinking somebody's standing there watching
1: (laughs) try walking around when the lights are off (laughs)